0: This is Mornings, 720, ABC Perth and ABC WA, on air and online. Good morning, you're with Jeff Hutchison. I'm delighted to have the Chief Justice, Wayne Martin, as my special guest this morning. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Chief Justice, you will have heard people say that the courts aren't reflecting community expectations, that sentences are soft and judges are out of touch. Does that hurt? Is there a ring of truth in it? Uh,
1: No, I don't don't accept there is any truth in it. Uh, It doesn't hurt because I'm used to it. Uh, It it arises, I think, because of a misperception about what is actually happening in our courts. Most people take the information that they use to form judgments from the media. Um, That's fine and that's that's a good thing. But the media, of course, only represent uh, and only report cases that are newsworthy. So, by definition, the only cases that are going to be reported in the media are those that are newsworthy and one of the things that makes a story about a court case newsworthy is an argument that the sentence that was handed down was lenient. So people might read or hear or see uh, 20 or 30 cases a year in which there's a reasonable argument that the sentence handed down was lenient. Those 20 or 30 cases have to be put in the context of the 80,000 penalties that are handed down in Western Australia a year that are quite uncontroversial and which never attract any media attention. So people unfortunately form a judgement about the entirety of the system based upon the cases that are almost self-selected as being arguably outside the normal range of of sentences. Now the the fact of it is that the judges and magistrates of Western Australia are imprisoning more people and for longer than ever before. The imprisonment rate in this state has doubled over the last 20 years. Um, It is the sixth highest in the world and it is the second highest in Australia. The is that other. a boast
0: or a worry? It's, it's, not, something
1: I, it's not something I'm proud of, um, but it, is, it, it, is, it reflects, I think, uh, the fact that there is a misconception out there about what's actually happening in our courts. What is actually happening in our courts is that, as I say, more people are going to prison for longer than ever before, and over the last uh, 15 years, people who go to prison are serving one-third longer than they used to. So actual sentences served by everybody who goes to prison have actually increased quite significantly. And what I guess uh, concerns me is that there's a perception out there that Mm. is exactly to the opposite. And I think, unfortunately, that's um, informing public policy. It's leading to uh, public outcries uh, that really aren't justified by the facts.
0: Mm. My uh, father-in-law is from Melbourne. He's been watching our news bulletins every night since he's been here. And he is forming an impression that this is the most dangerous place in the country by a long stretch.
1: Well, again, I think uh, that is an impression that one gets by a very selective sample of cases that get reported. The only cases that get reported are those that are sensational for some reason or another. And what makes a case sensational is the fact that there's been a very serious violent event. Um, So, again, you get Mm. a false impression.
0: How do you um, answer that notion? that has been round forever, of course, that you sit in judgment uh, on, on high, you know, the perception yeah. is that you live and move in a different world to most of those, certainly most of those who come before you and the rest of us.
1: It's a very interesting uh, perception, again, that, that I've had the opportunity to test for myself because I've only been a judge for about three years now and I've found that in the three years that I've been a judge, I have learnt so much more about the community in which we live than I ever did as just an ordinary member of that community. The nature of our daily work is such that whether we like it or not, we are immersed in Human depravity, in misery, in the sort of things that people do in our community—that frankly, you and many of your listeners would not believe—I've mm. um, been absolutely astounded by the material that I've read, by the evidence I've heard, by the things that I've seen. It's been a real eye-opener to me to serve as a judge. So, in a perverse sort of way, I think again, this perception is totally wrong. We, perhaps, as along with people like the police, along with people in our hospitals. We are exposed to what's happening in our community on a daily basis. We can't avoid it. And sometimes you know, you, when you get home, you feel like you need a shower mm. because of what you've seen and heard during well, the Well, I was day. going to
0: ask that. I know we can't talk about individual cases, but in those three years, have you been surprised at what you've had to absorb? I,
1: I have. It's been extraordinary. The, uh, some of the things that you, you, you read and see about the way people live. The level of drug abuse within our community is something that uh, I guess uh, I had my eyes open to when I became a judge, and the impact which that has upon the level of crime within our community is profound. Now, that's something we are painfully aware of because we see it every day. We're not walking around in uh, cotton wool, living in ivory towers. We're, we're out there, um, and we're seeing it. We also live in the community. I've got kids that go to school. I go to sport with them on the weekends. I talk to ordinary members of the community. We're just ordinary folk doing a job like everybody else.
0: How does the judiciary measure and respond to public sentiment? Let's say that there's that broad, uh, courts too soft on crime. Um, I'll give you a couple of scenarios, and you you mentioned it. You know the tearful interview outside the court that appears on our news bulletins where an, an aggrieved person declares, there's no justice. Angry, frustrated people calling talkback radio expressing outrage, saying that criminals receive more sympathetic treatment than their innocent victims. How do you all absorb that information, and, and do you take it on board?
1: In an individual case, no. One of the reasons we have an independent judiciary is so that we can be immune from um, being influenced by public clamour. And uh, so in individual cases, we are quite assiduous to avoid being influenced by a baying mob. That being said, though, we, as I said earlier, we are members of the community, mm. we are alive to community expectations and an aspect of our sentencing practice is to give, um, give, um, reflect those community expectations. What worries me though is that those figures I talked to you earlier about, about the, the increase in, mm. in punishment, I suspect that is a consequence of the more subtle long-term influence of, of that sort of, sort of clamour which, as I suggested earlier, is a clamour that may not be based on the facts.
0: You're listening to the Chief Justice, Wayne Martin. It's 11 minutes after nine. Betty's uh, posed an interesting question. Mr Martin, when I saw the police outside Parliament, I was actually frightened that those who enforce the law perhaps don't understand the roles of judges in interpreting and making law can anything be done to educate the police and public? And it's a good question because Mm. it is about um, bridging the gap between your understanding and our understanding, isn't
1: it? Could I just say there is a very good relationship between the courts and the police. I meet regularly with the Commissioner of Police and enjoy a good relationship with him. So I'm I'm not very concerned about the attitude of the police towards the law. Uh, Some of their representatives say things that I don't always agree with. Um, But on the whole, I think the relationship between the police and the courts is a very sound one. Where I think uh, there is a perhaps uh, a misunderstanding uh, is in relation to the role of the courts uh, as arbiters of the law. We apply the law to the facts of the case um, as impartially and objectively as we can. I think police, deep down, do understand that. They don't always agree with the outcomes of our cases, but that's what they are there for.
0: Were you troubled by a few thousand people standing outside Parliament? quite recently, or is it just one of those things where the public get to express their, their support and, and, and anger?
1: One of the great things about our democracy is that people have that opportunity, and, and I always welcome people exercising that opportunity. I guess one of the things that concerned me about that debate was that there were at times a few misconnects going on. There was, for example, apparently seemed to be some logical connection between a jury's verdict of acquittal and mandatory sentencing when there's obviously no logical connection whatever between those two things. So the debate did get a bit out of hand there.
0: Mandatory sentencing uh, to become a reality, what are your views on it? Um,
1: Mandatory sentencing is a matter for the parliament. Um, It is a matter for the politicians to decide what the law of the state will be and we as judges uh, will enforce that law um, uh, according to the way it's written and according to its letter, of course. Uh, I, like I think every other judge before me, Uh, has an opposition in principle to mandatory sentencing because what it does is inhibits discretion. Our job is to uh, tailor the punishment to fit the circumstances of the crime. Mandatory sentencing, by definition, inhibits our capacity to do that. Gives you no flexibility. Gives us no flexibility and produces outcomes that in some cases will be arbitrary. Having said that, I emphasise that it's a matter for the Parliament not for the judges if the parliament chooses to pass that law then we will of course enforce it
0: yeah i understand and i understand that you don't talk about things political in fact there's a there's a a whole raft of uh, specifics that we that we don't go into with you but what is your role here i know you've talked about the independence of the judiciary are you able is it your job to direct or ask judges and magistrates to consider the messages being sent to them
1: Certainly not. It it would be an interference with independence if I were to endeavour to influence any judge or magistrate in the exercise of their individual uh, um, powers in an individual case. We have an appellate system that enables guidance to be given to um, lower courts through a properly uh, um, supervised process of appeals whereby in a totally transparent way arguments can be put and considered by the, the ultimate court in the state, which is the court of appeal, mm-hmm. and that it can then lay down principles for guidance by the lower courts. But okay, it's not I, something I, for I, me to no, do. No,
0: no, yeah. I wasn't. assuming that you that you would um, you know, have have a chat about an individual case. Mm. Uh, but you also have to to read community moods. Yeah. Um, And and I imagine in your position to consider some of the questions that people are asking. And one of them, uh, most recently, of course, was um, in the the Matthew Butcher case, was the whole issue of of juries and anxiety about juries. One of the things that you did that was very interesting was the idea of introducing the judge to the jury room. Now, tell me, why do you think that it could work?
1: Um, I think what I was really trying to do by putting that out there was to stimulate some informed debate and discussion. Um, I put that out, idea out there at a time when, as I suggested earlier, the debate seemed to me to have got a bit feral. Yep. Uh, and so I was trying to, if you like, put a few notions out there to encourage my slightly more cerebral approach to the important structural issues that, 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 that address our system. There are, I think, let me start by saying that the jury system is the best system that we have ever come across for determining guilt or innocence. It's a, it's a terrific system. It is, I think, the envy of a lot of other countries who don't have that system and it, and it should be supported and encouraged. And I think it has a lot of enormous strengths. But like all systems, it's not perfect. There is always room for improvement with any systems that involve any system that involves human beings. So I guess what I was trying to do was look at ways in which we might think outside our normal preconceived notions about how juries work and look at ways in which it might be improved. Um, and one is uh, in the area of deliberations, Uh, Some of the feedback I get by virtue of my position is from people who've served on juries Mm. and who haven't been entirely enthralled by the process and who've come out of the jury room thinking that perhaps they could have done a little better if they'd been given a bit greater assistance about the issues they had to address and if their deliberations had been a little more structured. Mm -hmm. I emphasise that that is a fairly rare. event. I think 95 times out of 100, perhaps even higher, juries have no concerns of that kind and everything goes swimmingly. But I have heard from a number of people in the community who haven't been entirely happy about the process. And I was just looking, throwing out a suggestion about ways in which that might be approved. It's just one of many. Another way, for example, would, that I've heard of since then would be to um, engage a facilitator or a mediator to retire with the with the jury mm. and just structure their deliberations. Is that
0: more of a compromise that, that, that some people would find? I, I wonder... Um, uh, whether the judiciary would have a sort of entrenched resistance to actually wanting wanting to go into the the jury. There's a
1: concern, I think, and a a reasonable concern, that if a judge was to retire with the jury, the judge would become overbearing and you would go from a decision of 12 to a decision of 1, being heavily influenced by the judge. That's why I think another option, for example, would be to have a facilitator who needn't necessarily be legally trained, but just someone who's trained in encouraging informed and reasoned discussion. Um, structuring the deliberations.
0: Clarifying the decision-making Cla- process. Clarifying
1: the decision and, and, and assisting the decision-making process. There, as I say, there was just options thrown out there for people to look at ways in which we might improve the system in a context in which there were some pretty violent criticisms of that system.
0: How might we adjust the jury selection process? Because we, you know we've spoken to so many people ha- here who, who, uh, who ring in and say, uh, too many of us who should be on juries get let off or get dismissed by defence lawyers?
1: I share those concerns. I think we need to look at the range of exemptions um, and the Law Reform Commission is surely going to issue a discussion paper dealing with that issue. I think we need to look at the peremptory challenges. Mm. Uh, That is the system whereby each of the prosecution and the defence can uh, reject five jurors just because they don't like the look of them. Mm. I'm I'm not at all sure that that is consistent with the notion that the jury is a random sample representative of the community. And I think also we ought to look at the, the judge's discretionary power To excuse. Um, I think in the past, judges might have been a little too soft and lenient about letting people off doing their duty. Now, we do need a discretionary power to excuse, but one thing we could do, for example, is say, all right, well, if you exercise that power to excuse, it's not a permanent excuse. you will have to come back sometime within the next six or 12 months and do, do your duty so that people would then know they're not getting out of it forever. No, but they're people, just deferring it.
0: People would accept that responsibility on that basis too. Yeah. We, we have to because we can't be critical of a system that, that we think is no longer representative of the broader community if we'll do everything we can to get out of it.
1: Exactly. And so I think we need to look at ways of, of improving the, represent, the representative nature of the jury.
0: Uh, let's, uh, let's hear from Mark. Hello, Mark.
2: Oh, hello, Jeff. Mark. Um, Yes.
0: What would you like to contribute, Mark? Uh,
2: Well, basically just that um, as uh, having been on a jury uh, before, and I won't cite a particular case, but it was a malicious wounding case, and we were told to consider, uh, as the prosecutor uh, presented evidence and so forth, we had to consider um, elements of that case. Now, um, the judge always uh, appeared to, um, what you say, Uh, dictate what we are to consider as jurors, um, what is allowed as evidence. Now, we could see, and we discussed it among ourselves, um, the causes of a particular wounding case, um, but we were not allowed to consider those causes, um, and so therefore we had to acquit because the evidence that we were allowed to consider did not include what was self-evident to us.
1: Yeah, well, Mark, I can understand your concern about that and i think one of the problems with the system is that it's not interactive in the sense that you do, you would have been told obviously that you had the chance to ask questions of the judge but that's a very formal um process whereby you all have to trundle back into court and the question is read out and then the judge gives an answer one of the things i was trying to do through by suggesting greater interaction between judge and jury was to suggest ways in which the jury might have greater opportunity to understand why the case was being put to them in the particular way it was. Um, The judge, no doubt, in that particular case, would have been applying the law as he or she was required to do. But obviously, you've emerged without an understanding of why that was.
2: Uh, No, no, that wasn't quite my point. My point really was that uh, in this particular case, it was suggested that a person was wounded by a particular weapon. um, But the weapon was not found. Um, but it was consistent with the wound, um, a piece of glass, as it were. But yeah. uh, and a metal object was also capable of inflicting those wounds, which was self-evident. Was there presented, it, but not presented as evidence for us to consider?
1: Right. Well, uh, again, I don't. If you'd had greater opportunity, perhaps to interact with the judge, then that might have provided you with the opportunity. But of course, a fundamental part of our system is that the accused person only has to meet the case that the state present. So if the state present a case based on a particular factual scenario, and for right or wrong, if they decided that the glass was the cause of the, of the assault, then it would, I think, be inconsistent with fundamental principles for you to go and For a jury to convict somebody of something with which they hadn't been charged.
0: Mark, thank you for your call. You're listening to the Chief Justice Wayne Martin on the morning program at 22 minutes after nine. Just before we get off the subject of of juries, um, one of the other uh, questions is whether we are denying ourselves wisdom and experience by not allowing more senior members of the community to participate in the jury business?
1: Um, I think there is much to be said for that. The, the difficulty of course is that people age at differential rates. Mm. Uh, some people at 72, 73, 74 are as sharp as a tack. Uh, other people at 72, 73 or 4 are not um, entirely as, as agile mentally as they used to be. The problem is distinguishing between those who are and those who aren't and I think that's probably why we've got a fairly inflexible cut off at the age of 70, but again, I think as we have an in, a population that is increasingly made up of older people, um, there is much to be said for reviewing that cut off.
0: Is there? Do you think the will to to change and adjust, and and I don't want to say move with the times, but perhaps uh, show that there's flexibility within the judiciary? I know the the community says that's what they want to see.
1: Yeah, I, I think there is very much that mood. We are. Uh, much younger than we used to be i think Mm -hmm. as 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 judiciary people tend to get appointed appointed younger and i think for that reason we are less less rigid more flexible more open to change and there has been again the community might be aware of this but there's been an awful lot of change within the judicial system over the last 10 or 20 years the way we deal with victims has changed enormously the way we deal with witnesses has changed enormously the way we pre-record the evidence of vulnerable witnesses, to reduce the impact upon them, the way we expressly recognise the rights and interests of victims. All of those things have changed significantly over the last twenty years. That's not to say there isn't still room for improvement. Mm. But perhaps people aren't aware of some of the significant advances that have been made.
0: Yeah, that might be that might be true too. The last time you were here, Chief Justice, you expressed your grave fears about rates of indigenous imprisonment and the terrible reality that Aboriginal people are so overrepresented in our prison population and how that so antagonizes Relationships with the wider community. You watched it for years. It exists here in far greater proportion than most other parts of the country. Do you, after three years as a Chief Justice, have any idea how we can better deal with it?
1: This is going to sound like a cop-out, Jeff, but uh, unfortunately in the justice system we see the consequences of uh, the social disadvantage and social dysfunction, which unfortunately characterises the lives of so many Aboriginal people. Um, there's a therefore, I think, a limit to what we in the courts can do We see Aboriginal people grossly overrepresented in the court system because of poor rates of health, poor rates of employment, poor rates of uh, education, uh, gross overcrowding in houses, substance abuse, uh, alcohol abuse. All of those things are the reasons why we see far too many Aboriginal people in our courts. The only way we are really going to get the numbers down is if those matters are addressed, and those are the responsibilities of agencies outside mine. I have to say, though, there is there is room for, uh, is room for optimism in those areas. Uh, the steps that are being taken by the uh, Minister for Indigenous Affairs and the Department of Indigenous Affairs, the Sanderson Committee, uh, the, approach, the cooperative approach that's being taken by the federal government all give me room for cautious optimism that progress will be made in this very important area. And
0: every time we see a, uh, an image of a, a kid stealing a car, uh, behaving terribly, um, emerging from court, uh, emerging from children's court and, and and the media then says, you know, uh, more and more pressure gets put on politicians to say, when are we going to start trying juvenile offenders as adults? Uh, some people call that completely draconian. Where do you stand on well, that? Well, the
1: most important thing with kids um, is and the, the, the most effective way of protecting the community um, is to try and change their behaviour. With kids, even more with adults, you do have an opportunity opportunity to modify behaviour and that's the best way of protecting the community because if you allow a juvenile offender to turn into an adult offender then the community is put at risk. So the the legislation requires us quite appropriately to emphasise rehabilitation and behaviour modification with juveniles and that's entirely appropriate. What worries me is that we haven't been effective enough about it. We're spending an awful lot of money in the juvenile justice system. The Auditor-General's report revealed that we're spending $400,000 a child on the 250 worst kids in that system when they pass between the ages of 10 and 17. Now, I think we could do a lot better in improving the outcomes of that sort of expenditure. Now, there are steps in hand to look at that. The President of the Children's Court is very keen on those sorts of issues. I know he's in active discussion with the Minister for Corrective Services about improvements in that area.
0: And yet the government response to a lot of this is, is feeble. It's, it's good to win votes by promising to be tough on crime. But governments of all persuasions, this is not a political comment, governments of all persuasions do very little to ensure that when a person comes out of jail, he or she is less of a threat to the community or better equipped to dealing with the drug addiction that may have sent them there in the first place. Now, I know you don't weigh into political arguments, but uh, it, it doesn't have much to do with party politics Governments have to be fair dinkum about the consequences here, don't they?
1: Well, I know from our discussions with Christian Porter that he is very concerned about the reduction in the number of programs that are delivered within our prison system. There has been a significant reduction in the the delivery of programs over the last seven or eight years. I know that he's very keen to improve uh, the rate of delivery of those programs. We know that simply warehousing people in a prison system is not likely to modify behaviour. We know that as a fact. So while we must send people to prison for punishment, we should also see it as an opportunity to modify behaviour because that's the best way of protecting the community is to try and reduce the risk of those people reoffending when they are released. That's why I'm very keen to support um, the improvement of delivery of programs, not only within the prison system but also uh, in a non-custodial environment because, again, uh, behaviour modification is the best way of protecting the community.
0: Let's take a couple of calls and I've got one more question for you. Brendan, hello. Hi, good
2: morning. What's morning,
0: your Brendan. question, Brendan?
2: Uh, look, my my concern or my issue really is to do with the rules of evidence that many of these controversial decisions appear to be made on the basis of evidence that was excluded. And my comment or my thought is that perhaps the evidence should be allowed in a particular case, regardless of how it's found, whether legally or illegally. But if it is in fact found illegally or not correctly, then you know th- that creates then another case on how it was found in the first place. But that the first case
1: should go ahead on the evidence as it's found. Uh, Brendan there is a discretion to exclude illegally obtained evidence but it's uh, a discretion that's not very often exercised. Um, Usually the probative value of the evidence and its significance to the achievement of justice will outweigh the fact that it's been illegally obtained so there aren't that many cases that turn on illegally obtained evidence a broader issue is the general rules of evidence that sometimes do exclude issues that that people think should have been put before a jury those rules of evidence are intended to ensure fairness um, and it's usually on the basis that the evidence if admitted would be disproportionately prejudicial it'd be much more prejudicial than probative in the sense that it would be likely to influence a jury to a, a, an irrational way of, of approaching the facts of that particular case
0: brendan i'm sorry we're just we we are running out of time a little bit uh, brendan thank you alan good morning
2: just like to uh, hear the Chief Justice's views on uh, allowing the jury to come up with a um, a decision that says the case is not proved, as I believe is is available in Scotland, rather than not guilty uh, to overcome the uh, double double jeopardy uh, situation.
1: Yeah, that that would be one option. It, It would lead to a degree of uncertainty. There are other options that have been pursued in other Australian jurisdictions that I think are probably a little more effective, and that is to allow um, a, modified, a modification of the double jeopardy rule in certain circumstances like fresh evidence um, of, of an unusually probative nature or what's sometimes called an administration of justice offence such as perjury. I think that's a little more effective than, than leaving the, 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 the uncertainty and the cloud over the head of somebody who would be the subject of a not proven verdict. And John, to you, good morning.
2: Oh, good morning, a quick one. Um, just a comment on the um, selection of the jurors. Um, I'm in the 65 senior grade and I've served on a jury. I must confess that I rate myself to be well above the intellectual capacity of the majority of people on the jury. I was very disappointed in the thing that they were competency of a lot of the people on the jury.
1: Well, John, you've got five more years to go, uh, till (laughs) 70, I'm afraid.
0: John, thank you for your call. Chief Justice, before um, um, we let you go, um, what makes you hopeful?
1: Uh, Jeff, I'm hopeful because we, despite the criticisms that I think... uh, I I love to hear criticisms of the justice system because it shows people are interested in what we're doing. So that's great. But despite those criticisms, we actually have a very good justice system that works very well in the vast majority of cases, the 80,000 cases that I I spoke about. We've got a very high rate of of success in dealing with those cases adequately. The other thing that makes me optimistic is the thing I, I mentioned earlier, and that is in the Indigenous area. I am cautiously optimistic that we are finally identifying the steps that can be taken to reduce the gross over-representation of Aboriginal people. And in this state, that is the biggest cloud over the justice system. 43% of our prison population are Aboriginal compared to 3.5% of the general population. So that dwarfs many of the other issues that confront our justice system, and I think there's room for cautious optimism there.
0: Thank you very much for coming in today.
1: Absolute pleasure, Jeff. Wayne Martin is the Chief
0: Justice of Western Australia. Let's have some headlines with Gillian. Morning, Jill.
2: Good morning, Jeff. Thank you.